0: Hi, and welcome to Practical Reliability. I'm George Williams, CEO of Reliability X, and I am here once again with the amazing Ramesh Gulati. Ramesh, welcome.
1: Thank you, George. I'm delighted to be here to discuss a new topic. Let's talk.
0: Beautiful. So uh, today we're going to discuss how we measure, specifically, the planning and scheduling process. Uh, so from you know the whole work execution stream, We've got work that comes in, it gets triaged, it's either an emergency or some other work order that's not going to go through planning, or it goes through the planning process. And if it goes through the planning process, there are specific steps involved in making sure everything's ready, and then there are specific steps involved where we coordinate that work or schedule that work. And then at the end of all that, we should we kind of measure whether or not we did it well, Right. Um, so what we want to talk about today is well, how exactly do we measure that? What are some of the key factors or key measurement points or KPIs um, in the planning and scheduling process?
1: Well, to measure planning and scheduling process, there are a few things like as you said, percent planned work, how much work we are doing as a planned work,? okay? The more planned work, better we are you know it costs less to do those plant work then once you got those then how much that work we schedule this work and how much is schedule compliance percent schedule compliance that's a, or some people also call pm compliance just for pm or all work what we schedule you know how good we are doing you know just having a on the schedule it doesn't mean Really is getting done. We have to make sure those work which are on a schedule, our weekly schedule, are being done. The harder scheduling compliance. Is, hey, people are doing their work. They're following the schedule. That's better. 18, 5, 90, 99 ninety-nine, five percent schedule compliance is good. Okay, that's what we should be shooting for. Yes, five or ten percent work is not completed, either it took a little bit longer or we have to have some breakdown came, we have to take care of that. Uh, the, our crew has to take care of that. So scheduling compliance is another one. Other people also do is a mean time to repair. Now meantime to repair is a again, could be a wrench time we are looking is a for a specific asset or for whole, you know, for whole department, we can measure MTTR. Again, we have to establish a baseline for MTTR uh, for that asset. How we are doing is going up or going down. MTTR should be going down, that's another one. Same way MTBF, people look that too. But I don't like, but Pacific Equipment MTBF is a good measure also, because that's really related to your reliability, how many failures happening. So these are, four, five metrics we can, I mean, again, meters cost comes in a picture. Uh, I mean, these are the four or five good ones to capture how we are doing in a planning. Another one is a kits ready or not. You uh, You know, you know, you have identified in your list you know, this material we need. And if it goes to storeroom, a storeroom should make those kits ready and deliver to the site where the market should be done. So those are four or five good ones to capture as a planning process, we can call it. Okay.
0: Awesome. I love it. So let's kind of walk through some of those in in, in each step. So uh, one of the ones you mentioned was the percentage of work that's actually planned versus unplanned work. Um and then you had mentioned cost, so let's talk a little bit about that. In your experience, uh, what is the difference between maintenance cost for, say, corrective or break-in work or breakdown work versus either preventive or planned work?
1: Now, if I have to do a planned work, two p.m., its unit cost is one. Let's say one dollar or hundred dollars or something. What unit cost is one? Unplanned work, unscheduled work or breakdown work may cost you three to five times more because we are rushing the things. There's not no planning done. We have to go and find the part. And we have to find the right tools. All those kind of things cost us money. So we are talking three to five times more, okay? Yeah. Depending upon size and types of repair we are doing it or break, fixing things we are. So it's much more expensive. So it's much, much better if we can plan the things.
0: And that's so so that is in direct alignment with uh, the history that I have, right? Whether it's at sites where I was responsible or clients we now work with. Um, I've been close to about four, um, somewhere between three and four on uh, each of those analyses that I've performed. And so you are in direct alignment uh, with data that I have that supports that. So what makes up that cost typically is ancillary damage and the labor costs associated with wasting time, right? So you've got you've got the the bearing blew apart, but now I've scored the shaft because I didn't know ahead of time and do the repair before the bearing blew apart. So you've got ancillary damage, right? I've scored the pillow block, I've scored, you know, I've made an oval, I've scored the shaft. There's extra cost there. Then there's also the wasted cost of taking somebody off a job they're currently working on, making them go inspect something, then go back to the storeroom to figure out if we have parts, then running someplace else in a closet somewhere where they think they have this one part from four years ago, and then going back out to the job site and doing that three or four times before they actually get the repair done, right? So what makes up that delta is wasted time and ancillary damage.
1: That's exactly right, because we waste a lot of time in finding hunting the parts where those parts are and our people may be busy they may be, we have to pull out from somebody else to do this emergency job you know to, so that's a, you know labor part and as you said the damage may be a lot more than what we could have done in a PMing we had to just lubricate, instead of lubricating, now we have to repair the bearing, we have to replace the bearing, and shaft may get damaged, we have to replace the shaft. All those kind of things is extra distal cost. That's why it costs you three to five times more. That's one thing.
0: Yeah, beautiful, beautiful, love it. Okay, um, you also talked about kidding, and that kind of falls in alignment with whether or not we have planned the materials. Now, typically when we measure the planner, we're measuring things like, how accurate the hourly estimate was, you know, uh, and what percentage of materials they have planned up front. Now, personally, I'm not a big fan of um, the hourly estimate being a measurement of just the planner because there are other factors versus just their estimate, right? We have different technicians with different skill levels. The planner's not always assigning it to a technician. So sometimes there are some variables there. But the one I am a big fan of is what percentage of material costs were planned versus not planned on planned work, right? So in other words, if the planner did not assign materials and the technician still had to go find their own, well, we didn't really gain the benefit of having the planner, right? I mean, the, the, the benefit, the huge benefit is in trips back and forth between the shop, the storeroom, and the job site. Um, so talk to me about the percentage of, of materials planned.
1: Okay, now, if you're looking for, as you said, looking for planner sufficiency, now planner, if a good planner should plan how the work will be done sequence, that's one thing. Also, he needs to, or she needs to identify what parts are needed. So, you know, he needs to, hey, we need to replace a bearing, we need to re- replace O-seal, O-ring, all those kind of things. That's one. you know, then also, he has to or she has to identify if they need some kind of a a sketch or drawing or something, the how their pay will be done if they need to additional information. So planner needs to identify all those kinds of which may be possible. And also how instructions are written. You know, you have to planner need to understand how skillful their people are technicians you know, uh, what level of understanding they have. Like I have worked with the people with the military background to speak in the military, Air Force and Army. Those recruits are high school background. So when you're providing work instructions, you have to talk to that level of, you know, but our industrial work people are technician much higher level. So you have to evaluate what level of instructions we have to write or you have to give so that easily understandable the person who's doing the job. So all those kind of things are part of a, a planner's job to do those things. And that's what you measure how he or she doing it. Now, in regards to material, the technician needs to identify you know what material is needed and what those are are those are available in the store or not too now when he's he or she's setting up he has to see yeah this bearing is available in fact it's a good planner will reserve those bearing or those parts which are available in the storeroom and set aside for that job as in some software or cmms system like maximo you can reserve planner can reserve those items for for that particular job. And also in our storeroom operation, if we had to do a good practice is when planner identifies that these items are needed for that specific job and when that work order reaches or requirement reaches to the storeroom, they should make a kit out of that. You know, hey, this part, this part, they collect in one place, one box, and so, and that box should be delivered at the site where what has to be scheduled to do it. Okay? So, and that's again, he has to look to what that cost is. You know, is that you know we are if cost of material. It's, it depends upon is a one to two percent depends upon how intensive your you know, some industries are two percent, sometimes is a one percent overall cost of material which we I hope that answer your question. Yeah. Or maybe I can in
0: know, in, a... in a lot of detail. Thank you.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> so all right, so we've got good plans, we've kitted jobs. Um, And now we have to move on to scheduling. And so in scheduling, you can measure schedule compliance, which you had mentioned. Mm -hmm. You also mentioned, well, you know, we're not going to get it all done because we have to have emergencies. That indicates to me that you're a fan of schedule 100 percent of your time, um, which I'm also uh, uh, in favor of. If you schedule 100 percent of it, you're measuring whether or not you've scheduled 100 percent of the available labor. Is that a measurement that you measure?
1: That's right. We need to put 100% of our scheduled people schedule it. Yes, there will be 5-10% time which we couldn't do it. You know, we have to remove people who do some emergency job. It's okay. But initially, when we're putting, we have to make sure all our 100% of our people are scheduled. All
0: right. And so in in my background, in my history, the reason I'm a big fan of this, A, is... Doc Palmer tells you to do that. Um, yes, B. Right. <laughs> and when you learn from the best, you just follow. So, um, however, I've got actual data points that support that. We've we've had um, you know uh, major blizzards that shut down sites, uh, and yet we still hit like eighty percent schedule compliance when we scheduled a hundred percent of the week, but twenty percent of the week was out the window. When the bucket looks bigger, people tend to work a little harder, and so if you give them that fluff room what I have found is they still only achieve 85 90 percent of that schedule they never really get it all done so so you might as well schedule a hundred percent of it make the bucket look harder to achieve they'll put a little bit more effort behind it um, and hopefully hit the 85 90 percent number of you know a fully loaded schedule
1: that's right that's what happened human nature you know what's in the bucket how let's do 80 percent we are all right so this way you know hundred percent we we'll try to achieve more, you know, right. that's... Plus, we can give a little bit of overtime if needed If our emergency job, we can get done in a faster. But again, I think our focus is, hey, let's do 100% schedule compliance, which is better. You know, it means now, what does that mean, really? If we are going to do, say, 90, 95, 100% schedule compliance so on our PMs, we are doing PM on, on a disciplined fashion, if you are doing to PM on a discipline fashion, it means our breakdowns are going to go down. See, that's impact. We have to look. If you are going to do only 50% P- schedule compliance, we are not doing our PMs on a regular basis, and that's impact on our downtime. So I think we people have to realize or they should know, hey, schedule compliance, why is it important? Because we are on schedule we are doing our pms or our repairs on time in a fashion way that's going to help us to reduce our downtime
0: i think one of the interesting things you bring up is that you know if you if you're not able to achieve pm compliance right even before the full schedule you're not demonstrating enough organizational discipline to properly schedule because you're not even coordinating the basic required maintenance, let alone any additional maintenance. And you have not demonstrated that your your craftspeople, your trade staff, um, either are getting the work or executing the work in a timely fashion uh, as prescribed. And if you can't do that with just the base level of maintenance that's required at the plant, how are you going to take the next step?
1: So again, I think it's kind of creating a discipline of process or changing people's habit. Once they understand how important is schedule compliance, because hey, schedule compliance means we are doing our PMs on time, are doing repairs on time. That helps us reduce our downtime, our or improve our uptime and reduce our cost. And once they understand that, that becomes a part of their habit. Okay, schedule compliance is important. You know. Otherwise before, once you know, they used to oh it's okay, sixty percent compliance is all right, or seventy percent that's not the case. Hey, we are shooting for ninety five, hundred percent. That's what you're shooting for. And there's a benefit. Once they understand that their habit will slowly, slowly will change, hey, that's the way we're gonna do. That's how we have done it, you know.
0: Yeah, no doubt. All right, so now we've measured schedule compliance. And there are a lot of factors that impact schedule compliance and including the industry that you work in. Right. If you're in a a service industry like a university or a laboratory setting or an office building, then you get a lot of things like hot and cold calls. And I locked myself out of my office and things that maintenance respond to where there's not really a PM to help mitigate it too often. Right. Um, And so they're going to have more. Break in work or unscheduled work, uh, as a typical percentage, Um, and then you have industries that are heavy equipment industries. You know, mining. We're we're working on on our equipment on a regular basis and PMing it so it can survive an interval right Um, until its next service time. And so we should be able to to have some schedule compliance around around those things at least to some degree. But the amount of unscheduled work should should shake out over time. We should be able to figure that out and pinpoint that down. Um, h- how do you help people where that kind of fluctuates, right? I mean, it, it's not always
1: 100%, is it, that we should expect? No, really, again, as you give example, in some cases, we may have to put a one or two dedicated people to do take care of those kind of things. Is I found that's a better way. Instead of removing people, sending them, I found if needed, if we are having, maybe we can start with a a fighting the fires. We have to want people dedicated to people which are going to, you know, fight those fires. You know, to speak. You know, so that's. But, we have to see if that balance at all balance out or if number goes down, then we can reduce instead of two people, we can have one person and then we can say, okay, we don't need dedicated people to take care of that. But usually I have found, you know, those kind of cases where this fighting of becomes important or let's have one or two people dedicated for that kind of jobs.
0: I think the important thing to mention there is that even if you do parse them out and dedicate them It doesn't mean to ignore that work like you can't get better at it or reduce its number. Sometimes people will move those people out of the schedules they build and then ignore it, right? They don't actually look at the work they're doing, even though they can actually improve those things by, you know, working with their customers on what is and isn't an emergency um, and, and figuring out, you know, if there are specific failures in a specific area, make those nuisances go away. I remember we had um, like minus 80 freezers, freezers and minus 40 freezers, and oftentimes we would have to respond to alarms, high-temperature alarms. And we, what we found was there were uh, about a half a dozen freezers uh, across the entire facility that had hundreds of them where the set point was so tight that as soon as the scientist opened the lid, it opened, it, the freezer alarm would go off. The temperature would drop below set point so fast that it didn't matter. It wasn't like they were leaving the door open or anything like that. But what we did was, okay, great. Let's change the set points and put a delay on it. And now we're not responding so often. So you still have to look at what is eating your lunch, so to speak, right? What are the nuisance things that you're going after?
1: exactly right those are kind of things and also what it did was we did was hey we assigned in this case one or two people but we also gave them something to do all the time yeah. you know something you know hey review these procedures when you're not doing this thing keep reviewing these procedures or in the storeroom we gave them a few things to do so those are kind of things you don't just let them to sit right. we have to give them some other thing Keep them occupied for the good things. You yeah, know? Fill so work. Yep. Fill, yeah. Fill get, in work. Yeah, fill. Yeah, right, so. right,
0: right. Yeah, I think they're they're really really important points. Nice job. I, that's that's outstanding. I, I think one of the one of the things that um, I found very helpful and that I try to coach people on is when you're looking to get better at schedule compliance, run a query of all the work orders where you have no material costs because they're nuisances. You're going out and nothing actually broke, whether you're helping operations, whether you're responding to a hot and cold call where there wasn't really a problem, whether you're, you know, whatever it is, if you're going out as maintenance staff and no part is getting replaced, it's typically a good area to start creating a Pareto analysis by either asset or location, um, because these are issues that you're wasting time on.
1: Yeah, again, I said, hey, you said earlier, uh, the set points, operational set points, sometimes they are set too low or too high, and those are the good Is where once you see those things are happening, you can set up a team to look into that. You know, our IT guys, we set up a few times, hey, this set point, review all the set points. Are they too low or too high? You know, we can calibrate them or do something there. Those are kind of the good things to identify and take care of those. And people
0: don't really think in terms of, well, this is going to help schedule compliance, right? I mean, The typical way that I see people improve schedule compliance is overestimate the jobs, right? Yeah. (laughs) The planner will just double their estimates, which means half the work goes on the schedule, and suddenly they're better at schedule compliance. So you kind of got to measure both of those things to balance that out. But these things that you're mentioning now and that we're talking about are ways in which folks can improve the efficiency of the staff. By eliminating nuisances, by narrowing down, uh, by making sure all the parts are ready, by scheduling 100%, by being able to figure out what is and isn't really supposed to break into a schedule, Um, these are the ways that they can get better realistically.
1: Well, again, another thing. Uh, this, I think, remember long, long time ago, we were working on a forging press and we used to have a lot of jam ups. Again, jam ups are one minute or less or two minutes or less. And people don't see. But we started recording those also. Hey, somewhere in our you new, know, they started putting something in, I have one minute, two minutes. There were too many. And then we assigned a team to find out why these jam ups are happening. And always there was some solution. Something was wrong and die or something we have to make some adjustment there so, so that we don't have those many many jam ups you know we want to reduce those so there's opportunity everywhere wherever there's a, something going not right there's opportunity they're too big i too
0: love big. i love it and we should have a whole topic on those manufacturing losses because that's another phenomenal topic. that's right yeah on the maintenance yep. side so maybe we'll we'll throw that into our mix here um but fantastic. So the outcome of planning and scheduling, what's the purpose of all this and why we're measuring it?
1: Well, we want to identify our waste, waiting time, waste time. Whole purpose of planning and scheduling is to eliminate or minimize our waste waiting time so that people aren't waiting for something. They got material, they got, if they need another skill or crane or whatever tools, everything is there so they can do their job right at first time.
0: And how do you answer the question when management says, great, you gained efficiency, how many people can I
1: let go? Well, that's a wrong approach. We, this gives a wrong condition to our people, wrong message. Hey. We are not there, we are trying to improve. How we can utilize those people extra hour to do something more. We, a lot of things are happening in you know, that workplace where we can we have to make improvement. In fact, that should encourage. If we keep those people to do something else, hey, that's great. Then people realize, hey, management wants to do it wants to keep people making keep uh, want, they want to make improvements all the time and which is a good thing. Okay. We are not they are not letting people go for that reason. Okay?
0: Good, good. And and I like to barter, right? If you don't have a yeah. lubrication technician and you gain some efficiency, yeah. convert somebody to a lubrication tech or a planner Lubricate. or a schedule. Right. Right. Train somebody to be a reliability engineer that's analyzing this data, you know, figure figure out a way to repurpose um, the available resources so um, I, I think that's everybody's screaming I don't have enough people right so gaining efficiency basically finds free resources
1: that's right Yeah. awesome yeah.
0: alright Ramesh thank you so much for your time today it's been an absolute pleasure talking to you as always um, thanks for, for joining us on Practical Reliability
1: thank you George thank you everyone
0: awesome for Ramesh Gulati I'm George Williams go make tomorrow better than today